I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, we continue our mini-series on the seven deadly sins and talking about pride. lost. That penguin's lost. (laughs) Hi everyone, welcome to episode 20. Still just me, no Jenna. I know you miss her. I know you would rather it be just her. I know you love her more than me. I love her more than me um, most days. So um, I'm sorry she can't be with us, but she will be back soon, rest assured. Um, But we'll start with Joy Junk Jesus, as always. Um, My joy still is this little ball of beauty. Uh, My daughter Hannah and just the teamwork that my wife and I have been able to to have in um, raising her and making sure that she's okay and fed and sleeping and that we're sleeping and taking care of everything else that we need to. It's just, um, I'm really so grateful for my wife and all that she is doing and, and couldn't imagine myself doing this with anybody else. And um, yeah, she's just totally my joy. Um, my junk is um, sleep and kind of feeling like, okay, I'm getting on the cusp of trying to figure out how to get back in the routine of things, but also taking care of this tiny human that cannot take care of themselves, which is also a full-time plus job. So, um, yeah, that's a little overwhelming just to think about, and I haven't even started actually doing that so much yet, but it will be soon. Um, And I think that can really be my Jesus moment, is that this is really honestly offered me such a great opportunity to just trust that God has everything figured out from everything from like the whole pregnancy and then in labor and delivery and then just like figuring out how to care for a human (laughs) and um and and my wife and I we have no experience with kids um I had never held a baby up until like a month before Hannah was born. Um, never changed a diaper until her. Um, never swaddled a baby until her. Um, never even tried to soothe or burp a baby until her. And so um, I'm very, very, very inexperienced. And so um, it's a good thing we're talking about pride today because mine has died. <laughs> um, um, at least when it comes to feeling like I have everything together. Um, definitely not in the parenting game, but I'm learning and so I ask for your continued prayers. Um, so today, as I said, we're talking about pride. Uh, pride basically is saying I know best. Um, it's considered the foremost of all the seven deadly sins, um, almost like the source of the gateway um, through which all other sins um, enter the soul. And the reason for that is that we talked about in the last episode how envy was really what caused the sin of Adam and Eve and caused the sin of Satan to turn away from God. But the source of that envy was this idea of pride, this idea that I know better than God. You know, God decided laid out this plan for creating humanity in his own image, and Lucifer decided, I know better that the angels are better than humans, and that if we can't, you know, have it our way, then we're going to destroy them. Adam and Eve, like, God created all of this, he created us, and yet he told us this one thing, but we think that this serpent is right, we think that he's hiding something from us, and that really is a sin of pride. 
Uh, St. Augustine puts it this way, it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. And so humility is often put against this sin of pride. Um, It's not one of the seven virtues or seven gifts of the Holy Spirit that we'll be talking about. It's just a virtue that we should all be praying for. And so I'll also be talking a little bit about humility um, here and there. Um, So pride, it's an, an excessive belief in your own abilities. And so much so that it interferes with um, the recognition of God's grace or his intervention or even your need for God. Um, it, it's also called vanity. Um, and so if you really struggle with uh, the way that other people perceive you, the way that you appear before other people, um, the way that you perform, the way that you're acknowledged in terms of your achievements, um, all of that really has to do with pride. Um it says in Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. And now that I'm reading that, I'm thinking I got that from not the best translation. So let me look in my actual Bible instead of the interwebs <clears throat> and read that for you again. Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19. Pride goes before disaster and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be humble with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. I like that one better. Um, That's the New American. The first one I read was Google. I don't know what it was. Um, So, um, so pride really, it, it comes from this idea that we know better than God, but also that it's better to be recognized. It's better to be seen. It's better to share in the glory of the things of the world than to just rely on what God has in store for us, especially if his plan for you is not to be super successful or not to be super wealthy, or you don't have the opportunity to achieve those things, excuse me, that you thought you would. Um, That can be really difficult. Um, Blessed Mary of Jesus um, crucified, she's called the little Arab. Um, She has this really beautiful quote. She says, the proud person is like a grain of wheat thrown into the water. It swells, it gets big. Expose that grain to the fire, it dries up, it burns. The humble soul is like a grain of wheat thrown into the earth. It descends, it hides itself, it disappears, it dies, but to revive in heaven. That's really what a life of humility, a life without pride looks like. To do things not so much for the recognition, for the thank you, but for the glory of God. To not receive that acclamation or that idea that uh, we're better than everybody else or that people recognize our achievements, especially when it comes to doing things in service of others. Um, You know, are you someone who helps out in a ministry or at church um, as an usher or a lector so you can be seen and so people can come up to you and congratulate you and say, wow, that was so good. Um, This is a struggle, I think, for anyone who's a speaker or a worship leader, uh, anyone who's in youth ministry like I am. I'm in all those things. And pride is something that the devil throws at us constantly because it can very much be about us. And we have to be reminded constantly that it's not our ministry. It's God's ministry. And we are just humbled at the chance to be able to participate in it. St. John Climacus said, Humility is the only thing that no devil can imitate. Listen to that again. Humility is the only thing that no devil can imitate. That's how important humility is and how faltering pride can be. Um, St. Raphael Kalinowski um, says, God refuses only the person who does not admit his own weaknesses. 
He sends away only the unhappy, proud person. You must hold him well and strongly with a poor spirit, with a poor heart, with a life entirely poor. Now, what does that mean? You have to go sell all your possessions? No, if you feel called to, to go be a missionary, by all means, do that. You're awesome and much, much holier than I am. Um, I would not be able to do that because God doesn't call all of us to that. But that's what the beauty of that beatitude is. Remember that first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not just blessed are the poor in possessions. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That we constantly need to be approaching God with an eternal need. That nothing that we have, nothing that we can do is without him. Uh, there's that passage in scripture, um, for when I am weak, I am strong. This is St. Paul speaking. For when I am weak, I am strong. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That we only can get through this life because God gets us through. You know, if you're really struggling with a perpetual sin and pride is really causing you to not be able to be vulnerable with other people, I want to encourage you to try and do that, to try and share what you're struggling with, but to recognize like you're never going to get past that hurdle unless you admit, I can't do this, but God can. I cannot do this on my own, but God can. I can't do this by myself, but maybe God can use other people that I can be vulnerable with that can keep me accountable. Uh, and all of that is going to, it's, it's going to chip away at your pride. Because it's going to have to admit that you're wrong, that you're making mistakes, that those dark corners of your heart that you think no one would ever know about, they're going to kind of come into the light a little bit and it's going to sting and it's going to be painful, um, but it's going to be worth it. We cannot get to heaven and say, I deserve to be here if we never showed God that we needed him in order to get there. Otherwise, heaven is a participation award at best for life. Heaven is not a participation award. It is the glorious union with God. But if we have not been in union with God as his children, as people who need him, then we're not really in union with him. You know, if my five-day-old daughter, Hannah, just popped up out of her crib and was like, deuces, I don't need y'all, I'm joining the circus or whatever, and just walked out of here, A, that would be crazy awesome, and the movie Baby Geniuses would be real, which I've always suspected. But secondly... There would be no need for me as a parent anymore, and there would be no expectation then that we would live in relationship with one another in the same way. Um, that would totally be different, you know, from that day forward. And so um, it's the same thing with God. And so how does pride manifest in our lives? Um, in terms of the church, when we talk about things like charisms, gifts, talents, uh, pride can really get involved in all of these things, especially with stuff surrounding the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll tell you that the people who have the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit, who authentically have them and really um, just personify them in a way that that is really beautiful, I have never once heard them talk about it. Never once. However, I've been blessed to have the opportunity to see God work in them in those extraordinary ways when I just didn't even expect it. That's kind of what I'm talking about here. Um, maybe if you're a musician like me, like it can be very difficult to be up doing something that is very much linked to the entertainment world. I mean, we all listen to music all the time and to not be expecting or appreciating those comments that say, oh my gosh, that was so beautiful. You have a great voice. You play guitar really well, blah, 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 all those things. And for it not to swell up your pride. Um, and so to really think about the gifts that God has given you as unique and beautiful to be, to fulfill a mission that only you can fulfill. 
in essence, we all should have the most divine pride in the world in the sense that there is a mission on this earth that only we can fulfill. There is something on this earth that we are intended to be the best in eternal creation at that God has gifted us with. And yet we spend so much of our time trying to live the mission of other people. So much time trying to live the mission of other people. My wife and I play this game at the mall where we'll pick a fashion trend and we'll just pick out how many people are wearing kind of that identical fashion trend outfit or hairstyle or kind of persona. And you, we're racking up like half a dozen within an hour. Like, that, I mean, easily. And especially when we see a squad of people all walking together, it's like, okay, they're all wearing this exact type of shirt. This is, And it's like in an, in an effort to all show how unique we are, we all become the same because we're all trying to be each other. Um, you're not going to be the next best Kobe Bryant. You're not. You're not going to be LeBron James. You're not going to be um, Matt Maher, you know, the worship leader. You're not going to be whoever else um, because those people are already best at being themselves. The only thing that you can be best at is being you and to really look at the gifts that you have and pursue them in a way that glorifies God and look at the gifts that you don't have and thank God and say, I'm glad I don't have those gifts because I don't want to be fighting on a path that's something that I'm not created to do. Um, another way that pride manifests is when we have the sense that like, I already know everything I need to know about, you know, fill in the blank. Um, I see this a lot in ministry with ministers. Um, there are a lot of ministers who avoid a lot of the different types of community things or formation opportunities because, uh, you know, maybe they're busy, but it tends to be a lot of the older ministers who've kind of been at it for a long, long time with a sense that like, I know what I'm doing. You know, I don't really need to benefit from this. I've already got my my hand on this. Um, That could be just my perception, honestly, and they're awesome people. But I think that's something that can happen when you're put in a position of authority anywhere to stop um, bettering yourself. I have a friend of mine who's a priest who teaches preaching at St. John's Seminary. His name is Father Steve Toma. Shout out to Father Steve. Um, oh, that's our 17th shout out and Jenna missed it. That's really upsetting. Um, but Father Steve Toma um, is awesome. I haven't seen him in a few years, but he's part of uh, the Resurrectionist Community of Priests, which is the community that ran the church that I grew up at. And he would always talk about the fact that it's astonishing to him how few priests come back to study preaching and homiletics after they get ordained. That you spend eight years, you know, eight, nine years in seminary and as a deacon, max, usually, barring any, you know, extra extraneous circumstances. And then you spend, what, you know, maximum maybe 50, 60 years sometimes as a priest if you've been ordained young. And you never go back to study preaching or homiletics. That's problematic. And I'm not attacking priests. This is something we all do. That's just an anecdote to show we all do this. When we all get in a position of authority, we get that new job, we get kind of in the in the swing of, of that new position or whatever we're doing, been asked to do. It can get to that point where we put up this wall that anyone who comes in and says, oh, you need this, you need to learn how to do this because you're not doing it well, or you need to do this better, we can kind of attack back and say like, well, you don't know, I've been doing this for this long, like I think I know, or they wouldn't have hired me if they didn't think that I could do this job well, so why are you coming at me? Instead to say like, oh, that's such a great opportunity. Thank you for allowing me to fulfill this mission that God has called me to more faithfully. Probably wouldn't use that line in everyday conversation, but um, you get what I mean. However, we have to be 
aware of false humility. False humility, um, it can come in the form of self-deprecation, like, oh, I'm not very good at this, like, we're kind of itching for compliments. Um, you know, it's the classic, like, oh my gosh, I look so fat today type of thing from a super skinny supermodel, you know, um, that type of thing. Um, but on a deeper level, when it comes to something that's really has to do with our identity, our core, our gifts, our values, our spirituality, whatever it might be. It can also come in the form of anytime someone compliments you, um, you just say, praise God, that's awesome, because that's the thing you're supposed to say. Are you really thinking that? Do you really praise God for the fact that you get to do this? Or is that just like your token response because it sounds humble? Um, Nobody who's really humble can fake it. Sorry, nobody can fake humility if they're not really humble. You can you can see through it. Um, and so to be aware of that, like if that's something that you really struggle with to really work on, how can I better myself? How can I learn more? How can I uh, reach out to people, even if they're younger than me, even if they have less experience than me, but it seems like, um, they're doing something right. You know, I'm not afraid to go talk to someone who's much more successful at something that I am, despite me being maybe in ministry longer than them or me being older than them and saying like, how are you doing this? This is so great. Like I want to, I want to know so I can try and implement some of these great things that you're doing in my own ministry or my own life or what I'm doing. Um, and so to acknowledge that success is not, um, determined by age or by experience, but simply by the willingness to be faithful to what God has already given you. Um, And I don't mean success in the eyes of the world. I mean success, you know, in the sense that, as Mother Teresa put it, God did not call us to be successful, but to be faithful. Um, Not successful in the eyes of this world, but successful in our mission to uh, uphold whatever God has called us to. When we're proud, we can make excuses a lot. We can blame other people for a lot of our problems. Um, Again, we can, like I said, in envy, we can always kind of criticize and find fault in what other people are doing. It tends to be less about ourself, though, the criticism. We can be a lot less self-critical when we're proud and a whole lot more critical of the way other people are doing things. If you start to notice that anytime someone is brought up that's not around, that you start to think of, negative things to share, um, or things that could be better about how this event went or how, um, that group project went or how that thing at work went down, um, or that thing that so-and-so, what some uncle in your family said, you know, all these different things. And you immediately go to like, ah, I wish they wouldn't always do this. Or I wish, you know, pointing out their flaws, um, to really take a step back and say, okay, what, how is God seeking to encounter me through this person? Pride also causes us not to be vulnerable. Vulnerable is a, I want to call it a sticky word. You know, it's a messy word in today's age because um, we're, we live in a very achievement-based culture, a very merit-based world that's all about success, monetary gain. It's all about um, who has the loudest voice in the room, um, that type of thing. And not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and say, here's, here's how I messed up. Here's how I am broken. Here's how I need help. Um, that can really cause us to be proud, especially for someone in a position of authority to be able to find someone who's a peer or even someone who's um, a little bit under us but is trusted um, or someone who we see as an authority figure that we're so concerned all the time with impressing that we don't want to give them any sense that we're not doing what we should be doing to really be willing to go to any of those people and say, look, I need help. Like I'm really struggling with this. Um, and lastly, in that quote where um, that I mentioned before, 
St. Raphael Kalinowski, where he says, God refuses only the person who does not admit his own weaknesses. Pride can really lead to this thing in scripture that's called the only unforgivable sin, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And in church tradition, that's called impenitence. Basically, the only sin that God cannot forgive is the one that you do not ask forgiveness for. Um, Because the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of God's love. When you blaspheme against love, you're basically saying, I have no need of it. I have no need of that love in God's forgiveness. And so I don't need to ask for his forgiveness. And that is really, you're not allowing the grace of God that you need, that you absolutely need, that's willing you into existence at every moment, that you don't even realize how much you need and rely on every day. Not acknowledging that can lead to serious pride and vanity. Our saint is someone who really experienced the dangers of pride and really had a huge turnaround in terms of humility, and that was St. Paul. Um, St. Paul, yes, the man, the myth, the legend, except he's not a myth or legend. He was a real man. Um, He's legendary. But um, he was born probably around the year five in Tarsus, which is in southern Turkey. And he died um, somewhere between 64 and 67, um, probably in Rome. And uh, tradition holds he was beheaded there. Um, His feast is on June 29th, along with Peter. It's the saint of Peter and Paul. And he is the patron of missions, theologians, and Gentile Christians, meaning non-Jewish Christians, people who were not Jewish. uh, Because we, as Catholics, we are a Judeo-Christian religion. So the Jewish people, we believe, are still the chosen people. Um, But the way that that covenant was fulfilled in the person of Jesus in creating Christianity, um, we, in entering it, not being Jewish in our roots, are Gentiles still. So what do we know about St. Paul? Um, Well, he wrote like half the New Testament. Um, 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament are attributed to him. Seven uh, are for sure by him, most scriptural theologians say. And the other seven, they're disputed. It's kind of, maybe it was Paul or maybe it was a student of Paul who used his name, which was a common thing back then to kind of pay homage to the tradition of whatever person you studied under. Um, And so, Paul, he was uh, a Pharisee, first and foremost. We know that from Acts chapter 23. uh, Or no, sorry, his father was a Pharisee. We know that from Acts chapter 23. I think he was as well. Um, He had a sister and a nephew. um, And so we know that from some of his talking about his relations with, you know, the early Christians. And and I think they even entered the Christian world before he did. uh, Because he references them in in some of his letters. He studied under Gamaliel uh, when he was... um, uh, before he became a Christian, and he was one of the most noted, uh, Gamaliel was one of the most noted rabbis in history. He was in Jerusalem, and Paul was a tent maker by trade. Um, it's so interesting because uh, tent, the word for tent in Greek is tabernacle, and so now, you know, Paul transitioned from being an earthly tent maker almost to a divine tent maker, where he presented the body of Christ, the the Word made flesh to so many people um, and became almost like a missionary tabernacle, um, which is kind of cool. So um, in Acts chapter 8, we see that um, Paul, who is also called Saul, um, that was how he was named all up until um, his time as a Christian in Scripture, um, he was a persecutor of Christians. He killed Christians, and he oversaw the death of the first martyr, the first person killed for their faith in Scripture, and that's St. Stephen. And we see that in Acts Um, chapter 7 and verse 1 of chapter 8, where it says he was present there. And the very next chapter, Acts chapter 9, is his conversion story. And so we know the story is on the road to Damascus. 
Um, traditionally, he's depicted as riding a donkey. It doesn't say that actually anywhere. Uh, he's probably walking. Uh, and this voice, um, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this light comes from the sky and knocks him to the ground. Uh, and he goes blind for three days. He uh, enters the care of someone that God calls to, um, to care for him. And then when his eyes are restored, um, his blindness is cured. He goes and becomes one of the greatest missionaries and converters of, of souls um, ever known to man. Um, a common uh, misconception about Paul or misnomer, misnomer of him is that, <clears throat> what am I trying to say? Mis- misconception. I said that. Yeah. Um, God did not change his name from Saul to Paul. Saul is his Jewish name because he was Jewish and it's, you know, a strong royal name because of King Saul. Um, Paul is that name translated into Greek. But what's interesting is when he starts going by Paul, um, the root word for Paul comes from the Greek word for ground, which is humility. So he's knocked to the ground um, and ground is humus. And that's where the word humility comes from. And so it's interesting that he went from going primarily by his Jewish name, which was this royal name, all the way down to this, you know, kind of small Greek insignificant name. Um, But anyways, he went on four missionary journeys uh, throughout his life, uh, through which he wrote all of these letters in the New Testament, because he established church communities all over the Mediterranean, Asia Minor, um, and in Europe, especially around the Mediterranean Sea. And then he would revisit, and then if they were, if he got word of problems they were having in the community, he would write them these letters to try and encourage them and instruct them in how to be Christian, how to live the Christian life. Um, Romans is probably the most like prolific, um, or First and Second Corinthians. There, there's a, two of them, so there's a lot more content. Um, and obviously, Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians; those are very quoted passion, uh, quoted letters and epistles. Um, but Romans really has like the summary of the gospel message and kind of how St. Paul presents it. It's very theologically complex and shows you how brilliant, brilliant, brilliantly educated he was more than I is because I can't say words. Um, and it shows kind of how influential he was on all these communities. Um, to give you perspective, um, so half of the gospels would not have been written without St. Paul because Mark and Luke they were not um, disciples of Jesus, as far as we know. Mark may have been around. There's this one very obscure reference to a naked man running away in Mark that people think, who else would have known that but Mark himself? Um, But Luke was a physician. Both Luke and Mark were traveling companions of St. Paul. And so most of what they learned about Jesus uh, or what they knew about um, him that they put in their Gospels came from what was already written, um, and came from what Paul gathered, learned, and interviewed other people who knew Jesus uh, in his life. And so uh, he's integral in the formation of those Gospels. Uh, he traveled over 10,000 miles. And to put that in perspective, Jesus, during his public ministry, he's probably about 2,500 to 3,000 miles. Um, and so Paul just kind of ripple effects this ministry of Jesus outward. Um, some tradition says he made it all the way to Spain, um, but he did end his life in Rome. And so uh, he wasn't one of the original 12 apostles, even though he is considered an apostle, because the title apostle means one who is sent. Um, but he was appointed by God as the apostle to the Gentiles. And we see that kind of unfold in Acts chapter 10 and 11, where there's this plan that Peter is um, kind of clued in on that the 
the covenant, the church is for everyone. And in Acts chapter 13, all the way to the end of Acts, which I think it has like 28, 29 chapters in it, um, 28, is all about the missionary journeys of, of Paul for the most part. Uh, and so if you want to learn more about him, just read Acts of the Apostles, especially, you know, Acts chapter 8, 9 verse uh, and on. And you could do that in one sitting. Um there's so much we don't know about everything that happened to him and in his journeys and some that we gather from his letters. Um, but it seems that he he was very integral about believing that blind faith is not faith. Um, it's the acknowledgement that knowledge leads you to the truth, but only faith can carry you into relationship with the truth. Um, and so this kind of goes into our virtue of faith. Um Faith is that God knows best. And the corresponding gift of the Holy Spirit is knowledge. And so faith and knowledge are two things that were huge that St. Paul just personified. Um, he believed, even though he never saw or knew Jesus in the flesh, um, but he didn't think that just having faith for no reason is not faith. That, that he had this experience and the acknowledgement of that knowledge that he knew who Jesus was, it led him to that truth. But only having faith, only having true faith can carry him into relationship with the truth. Um, and that's was manifested in his life. Um, so it's the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Paul probably knew about Jesus. Uh, he probably heard about the things that were going on. He may have even been present in Jerusalem at the time of his crucifixion. We don't know. Um, but he didn't know who Jesus really was because he rejected his nature until he encountered him. Um and so to think about our own faith, is our faith blind just because, do we believe just because we're supposed to, um, just because we need to, or are we really praying for that virtue of faith because it combats this sin of pride? Because pride says, I know best, faith says God knows best, and it's not blind because it's rooted in knowledge. There's that um, caveat that says the more that you know about something, the less you realize you know about it, you know, and that's so true of the Catholic faith that, you know, I've recently finished my master's degree in theology, and the more and more I learn about the faith, the more I realize I have no idea of the vast magnitude of everything that's been said about Jesus, about the Trinity, about the church uh, in in the 2,000 years of tradition and the years of the Jewish tradition before that, um, but it helps me realize and recognize on a constant basis how incredible God is. Um, and so I want to leave you with some words of St. Paul from Romans chapter 12. This is verse 3 and verse 16. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than one ought to think, but to think soberly, each according to the measure of faith that God has apportioned. Have the same regard for one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And so let's pray, brothers and sisters, this week, that in the ways that we are proud, the ways that we are too vain, uh, the ways that we are too concerned with what other people think, that we would ask for the intercession of St. Paul, whose radical conversion uh, and abandonment of pride for his own humility. He was the one that said those words, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Um, to recognize that we need that weakness because it perpetually reminds us of our need for God. If you get held up by the fact that you're a sinner and that you have habitual sins, praise God and thank him because your sin is a reminder of how much you need God's forgiveness. You will never be perfect this side of heaven, um, 
but we can root out some of those things before we get there. And pride is one of those things that's just the source of so many others uh, that we really need to be conscious of. So I pray that you will think about that, share this episode with anyone you think might benefit, rate and review it. Go to our website, manafoodforthought.com. You can email us there with podcast suggestions. You can make comments on all our podcast episodes. We have blogs and vlogs too. We have weekly psalm reflections. We have vlogs. You can support us on Patreon, get uh, content that's more exclusive that nobody else sees for as little as a dollar a month. Um, We just thank you so much for supporting us. Um, Please follow us on social media, on Instagram, at manafoodforthought. And until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye. Thank you.